Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Grayskilla, Grayskilla, Grayskill Gorilla Podcast. We're on episode 49, one away from 50. Let's hear it. Come on. Grayskilla is my uh, hip hop name, by the way. I like that. Oh Grayskilla in the house. <laughs> He's the Grayskilla Gorilla. That's, That's actually right. not bad. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty good. It does kind of work, actually. I need to get the URL now. Yep, I think that's a that's a definite must. Um, <laughs> anyway, welcome back to another episode. Um, Super Bowl week. Just had the Super Bowl yesterday. Coming down off of that, all of the um, uh, disappointed faces across America, uh, with the exception of maybe two or three states. Um, but uh, you know, what did you guys think of the game? Did, were you happy with the outcome, or were you disappointed? I learned um, almost everything I know about football the day of Super Bowl. And I kind of try to get the story from all my family and like who's who's the good guys, who's the bad guys, who's the underdogs. And good I usually guys. go, I usually go with the underdogs. So I was I was going for the uh, the, the Atlanta. Um, I like I like their their color too. They had a cool color, and um, I was like, wow, this is this is going their way. And uh, we watched the the end of it, and obviously it did not go their way. But man, you got to appreciate like such a dominating team, like. I know, yeah. I know most of America hates like that team for whatever reason, but wow, like I, I love when somebody's that good at something where they could just go, oh yeah, no, that's cool. Now like, we'll play. I'm now we'll 28 play. down or whatever they were, and then they, and then they just come back. So I, I appreciate that spectacle. I always like the commercials. I always like the super, the halftime show. I don't know. I, th- that's a day I like kind of being a, being a normal and watching for- the Super Bowl. I, I enjoy it. For me, and I'm not doing this to like boost like nerdiness cred or anything. You, in most years, I, I do kind of have an awareness of it, and I'll check it out a little bit here or there, go to a party. I literally forgot it was Super Bowl Sunday until <laughs> Nick and Chad brought it up a little earlier today. I did not know, and I don't even know who played in it. I haven't seen any of the commercials. So That's usually, so usually I do pay a little bit of attention, and this year I just missed it. My brother, my brothers, and I found a new video game, and we were playing it like all day yesterday. Well, well I. I- I tweeted this last night, but um, I find that the Super Bowl is always a good day when I'm around friends and family that don't know what I do for a living to point at the TV and say, that's what I do. And and kind of like sports graphics is always the easiest thing to describe that to like 3D design that isn't a lot of times when that you see Pixar. 3D, it's like a Pixar movie and you're like, no, it's not quite that, but it is stuff that you've seen, I promise. <laughs> and Super Bowl is like one of the best days to do that because everyone's in the same room and you get to actually point at a big, slow, lo- like rotating NFL logo and go right there. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, speaking of like looking at stuff, like a lot of people tune in, you know, that don't even watch football. They just want to see the commercials because that's like become this thing unto itself. And a lot of, um, a lot of motion design, visual effects, animation in these commercials. And, um, I just, I'm, I'm not seeing the, uh, there's not like a breakout anymore. Like, I feel like back, oh, yeah. back in the day, there would be like a breakout spot. That you're like, Why? You know, yeah. yeah. Something that like just took everybody, um, by storm and everybody was talking about it. And I just feel like those days are like getting, um, I don't know, like one of the things that kind of caught me off guard and, and I'm not going to talk about this too long cause I don't want to take up too much time, but the, the car brand Alpha Romeo was a huge sponsor of the game. And I'm like thinking to myself, number one, what the hell is an Alpha Romeo? Number two, where do I even, where would I even go to get one if I wanted one? Like why the hell are they on the Super Bowl? It made no sense to me. 
And so if anybody has an answer to that, uh, hit me in the comments because I'm struggling to understand why these people were even involved. And maybe the buy, the media buy was like so expensive that they had to like, you know, get some other car company to sponsor the halftime show. I think it was like Pepsi and this car company that did it or something. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, they were pretty big. I'm even more confused in general when you just get those big commercials from like, from like ComEd. And it's like, why is ComEd advertising? Like, what? Like, they're, and they're advertising oh, yeah. themselves just as a company. They're not like, hey, buy our something. They're like, hey, we're a company and we do things in the world. Those are the, yeah, uh, we, we want to remind people that we exist kind of. Yeah, they're, they're showing off their, you know, nice things that they do. So you don't hate them as much when you. Like, like we just had an oil spill, but like. Here well, there was a, you didn't watch it, but there was a big oil, uh, oil company type commercial. It was like total propaganda. See, a lot of that stuff is actually um, forced too, like um, not forced, but it's 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 subsidized by the 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 commercials. So, like this this is something I didn't know until I started working in commercial work that PSAs um, mm -hmm. are a part of commercial buy. In other words, when you're buying commercial time, a percentage of your commercial time that you're buying is also going toward a PSA that you're all pitching in for to buy the time to put a a, a non commercial. Um, a non-commercial commercial in front of people. So if, for instance, like don't do drugs, those kind of things, those, those commercials were paid for by actual advertisers and it's kind of part of their, um, it's almost like a, a tariff. It's like the deal. Yeah, I don't think the they do that at the Super Bowl. Though. I don't think they have PSA. I doubt that. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I mean that would be the most expensive PSA ever. Well, but for those for those things where you're looking at them, like how did they afford that? I think there's always those kind of deals going on where there's a percentage of your budget has to be a part of of um, mm -hmm. you know PSAs or getting the word out about this or that. And sure. um, I doubt is, that's the case with Exxon Mobil though. Uh, like the Exxon Mobil commercial wasn't paid for by subsidies. Well, actually, <laughs> let me take that back. <laughs> Just in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I think with Exxon and uh, those bigger brands, it's it's more of a it's a way to be uh, have a it's a way for uh, people to maybe talk about their brand without hating it. <laughs> like instead of <laughs> like Comcast. Think about Comcast. Like it's uh, so much negative stuff, and they, and and they only get mentioned when it's a. Uh, when something wrong happens so it's their yeah. like time of year where they get to go like we also do these nice things too guys that's true that's <laughs> true well uh and then last week we also had um i did a tutorial last week i think it was me last week wasn't it right the takes tutorial was oh, yeah. That last week? yeah what's so what's what's going on with grayscale gorilla this, this, this so week? let's talk about grayscale gorilla what's going on with us um so did the takes uh, tutorial went over really well. Got a lot of people asking to follow it up with some stuff about tokens and layers. So I'll probably do one of those. But this week's tutorial, we've got Chris Schmidt's going to be talking all about soft body dynamics. Uh, soft bodies. We're you want to give us gonna the, the elevator pitch for this tutorial that's going to be coming out on Wednesday? Or sorry, sure. Tuesday. Uh, no, tomorrow. Yeah, Tuesday. Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's going to be all about uh, maybe trying to get a little bit more intuitive with your soft body control. So if you mm -hmm. want to make something look like Jello, then here's the setting. Like, I want it to be more Jello. Like, well, maybe you should change these two settings then, and really kind of get. It. And there's only there's only like four settings, and those are like the important ones. Maybe five, but everybody knows what stiffness does. So I really want to get in touch with my soft body side. Yes. Uh, that's nice. That's really what February is all about. <laughs> that could have that could have either gone in a really uh, awkward way or yeah, it didn't, uh, though. a it sweet didn't. a sweet way. So I could have played it both yeah. ways. I chose the sweet way. Oh, yeah, that's did. very nice. 
I'll next time I'll do the dirty way. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, the tutorial's coming out. Um, also next week, um, kind of the big news, I guess, is the is our fiftieth podcast. Five oh. <laughs> 50. 50th podcast, which is kind of crazy because I, how many were um, in this format? Like 20, you guys said? Yeah, I, th I think this is 20 or 21. So 20 or 21 in this format. Um, and that's pretty good too. I mean, that's a, that's a hefty sum right there. And, and so we're going to celebrate that by, uh, we've never done this before, but we're going to do the podcast live. We're doing it live next week. <laughs> And it's going to be the same thing, only you can watch us on YouTube and ask us questions and, um, you know, throw virtual tomatoes at us if you want. And it'll be fun. And that's going to happen uh, next Monday, a week from today. Uh, today's the 6th of February. So that would be what, February, I'm going to look at my calendar here. So February 13th at around, what time do we usually go on? Like noon, I'd say? Yeah, around Central. noon Central, around which is 6 a.m. GMT. Oh, that's early. Wow. So you gotta, you got to really want this if you're yeah. going to tune in. Um, and the good thing is is that you can you know tune in on your phone, uh, on your you computer, watch watch time if yeah, you're while you're working, while you're commuting, if you want to check us out live and, and um, you know ask some questions, we'll be here. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. We're going to test this out and see how it goes. If it works out, if the live thing turns into something that we dig, then we might do it more on like special events, like when we go to NAB or SIGGRAPH or we're doing covering something and we, we're all in a different location and we want to make something kind of fun and interactive, we might try to do this. Uh, so it'll be a little bit of a test. Hopefully it'll work out. We're uh, also doing some questions this week too, right? That's right. Yeah, you know, I, you may have noticed, and maybe not. Um, I right before the show, when I got up this morning, I, I started asking people to send us questions. I want you to ask us anything you want. No question is off limits, uh, and we'll try to get to them in today's show uh, as kind of a, a precursor to what we're going to be doing next week on the anniversary show. Um, so, if you saw that and you submitted a question, we're going to be answering these questions for you today. And then uh, if you are listening at home and you're like, man, I didn't know they were going to answer questions, don't worry. Tune into the anniversary show next week. Do it live. Ask us the questions live. And um, yeah, bring your questions. It could be about anything. It could be about the business side, the technical side. It could be about Legos. It could be about movies. It doesn't matter. Your favorite deodorant brand. Who knows? There you go. Mm, good one. Hey, well, I'm open to anything. Open to anything. Uh, let's see, did I cover everything in news? I think I did. Um, we don't have anything else going on. Oh, um, for everyone that, um, uh, the, for everybody in the last, what, two weeks that ordered a shirt from us, thank you very much. Uh, the shirts were a big hit. Everybody dug them. Um, they, um, by the time you hear this, they'll, they'll probably be, uh, gone again. So you'll have to wait till next time, uh, to get another shirt. But everybody that got one, thank you very much. And we will see you at the events. We want to see pictures of you wearing the shirt. So if you go to a meetup or something and you see somebody with a shirt, take a picture, send it to us, tag us. Um, yeah. So with that, you guys ready to start answering some of these, some of these questions? Let's I'm do it. it. I'm ready. Right. We should, right. we should, we should do them kind of whatever pace happens, and at the end, do a lightning round. Ooh, like, like, I don't even know. If I, I don't know if I have that many. To do. Well, lightning, lightning yeah. round might be two questions. All right. All right. Um, 
Okay, so this one, I guess, is for the group. Um, and this one is uh, Hadrian on Twitter, Hadrian, at Hadrian underscore Ledoux, wants to know, I have one question. Would GSG ever consider doing tutorials on another software other than Cinema 4D? Houdini would be great. So what are your, what are your guys' thoughts on GSG covering other pieces of software? We already kind of do that, don't we? Don't we already have some After Effects stuff? Yeah, that was from the beginning, though. It was always, it always had After Effects as well. I, I want to hear Nick answer first, I guess. He's the primary <laughs> guy to answer this. Yeah, let's get Nick on the hot seat. I don't know. I mean, uh, here's the thing. It, it, when, it was, it, when it was just me on the site, it was um, up to my knowledge, really. It was, I don't know, Houdini. Uh, people would ask me for... Max tutorials, or you know what was a popular one was when Node-based compositing started popping up more and more. Uh, Nuke and and um, what's the one I'm thinking of? Fusion stuff like that. People were asking about that, and um, while I thought it was a good idea to teach that, it was it wasn't something I was into, and it wasn't something I could help with, so it just didn't get done. Now that we have um, someone like Chad Ashley around, who's actually played with so much different software over the years. I think the answer for me at least is whatever we think is going to help a motion designer make better work that we should try to at least open the the gate to that to that piece of software. Um, if we think it's an important part of someone's future uh, to learn, I think it's an interesting thing to play with. So I know I know Chad, you've been interested in Houdini. And as you play with it and as you learn it, if you're going to go down that route, I could totally see that stuff popping up along with more stuff from uh, like After Effects. And you've you've used U Nuke and stuff as well too, right, Chad? Yeah, I mean, that question came about, I think, because I was tweeting about um, the uh, Houdini uh, 16, I think, is the version they're up to, I, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. Let me just check that real quick. Uh, and I watched their new feature video, and I was very impressed with the um, with what's happening. It might be maybe it's seventeen. I got it. Can is it seventeen? Holy cow! It might be one of those two. Anyway, I, I I'm not I'm not. Listen, I don't know Houdini. I've never opened it up. I think it's really amazing what Man versus Machine does with it. When I see um, any of their behind the scenes stuff uh, that that Simon guy does, I'm just always like, oh my god, that's insane. And for years, you know, Houdini kind of was on the sidelines as like an effects tool, and it was always some high-end black box scary thing that only the smartest of the smart people learned. And I think it's starting to work its way into motion design because of its um, procedural nature. I think a lot of artists are looking for a way to do uh, abstract art procedurally and for a long time i think cinema 4d provided enough of a of a of a canvas to be able to do that and i think as artists get good like simon probably did everything he could do with mograph and was like i i have this idea i don't know i can't do it in this program i gotta try something else so you got all these new motion designers that are kind of dipping their toe into Houdini because of that and the fact that it can do just about anything you can put your mind to is really, it's intriguing to me. Now, for, for us to teach it, I don't know it. And to be honest, like I'm still learning Cinema 4D. I'm, I'm just about 
uh, maybe a year and a half into that piece of software. So I'm in no sh I'm in no place right now to like take on another one, especially as something as deep as that. I would like to see us teach it someday, maybe do an intro series with someone that really knows how to, what would be really rad is if somebody, cause I don't see, see anybody doing this, like saying, here's um, a cinema 4d artists guide to Houdini. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, give me the one-to-ones like this is how you do this and this is how you do that. And just to kind of like, that would be a, a great thing. I, I think people would dig that. Um, other software, of course, I think we should, and I think we will start to branch out into like after effects and uh, node based comping and, and stuff like that. But it, it just kind of comes down to, um, in my opinion, we have we're only so many people, you know. Like for us to like do to do all these tutorials, it it just takes a lot of time, and not only to um, uh, to to teach p other people, but for us to learn it and like feel comfortable enough. Well, that's definitely a challenge. Like I've I've had so many people say, I think you would love Houdini, and it makes me want to tinker. And it it has such good integration with Cinema 4D. The, but the challenges for me, like I, I've always come at everything having been obsessed with it and like really like getting down deep and figuring out all the buttons and why they do what they do. Mm -hmm. So to begin teaching something means I want to go into it already having no knowing so much of it, like a very large percentage of it. So it, it, like it's it's not I don't think it's that hard to make a tutorial where you open it up and you go, oh, like, like oh, you do this and you drop a thing on it, you throw this texture on it and then boom, it's done. It, like you want to be able to kind of do anything and, and understand why. So I do plan to one day start tinkering around with Houdini, but that could be a while before I, I'm confident in it enough to start doing like advanced tutorials. But in the meantime, uh, all these Houdini animations have been providing amazing content for Ask GSG of trying to recreate these effects sure. in Cinema 4D that were, and I look at it as like, well, that's clearly Houdini. Let's see what we can do. See how close we could get. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I, I would say as a philosophy for for Grayscale Gorilla, I mean, it it's been very Cinema 40 heavy for a reason, and that's because things like what Chris said too. It's like that's what we were obsessed with. That's what we, that's what Chris and I knew the most about at the time, um, and that's also what a lot of people were looking to learn. So I think as the as the um, landscape changes with software, you know, motion design has always been changing. You know. Uh, software it, it takes it takes some time but as um the industry moves around you could expect us to also learn and and try to teach you stuff that we know so um yeah that the goal is not to uh cinema 40 all day every day it, the goal is to impart some sort of like um motion design knowledge and fun into the community and wherever that happens is where grayscale gorilla will be and, and wherever our passions are too i mean that's a big part of it um what we're into and uh, I've, I've always thought it's like like chris said too i've always thought the teacher has to be inherently like super interested in it before they make a good teacher anyway it's it's really hard to have like an impassionate unpassionate whatever that word is teacher teach something it's just boring everyone's been in that class where they're teaching it because they have to not because they like it and i i definitely don't want to go learn a piece of software because that's where the market's going i i i'd rather no that sucks when that happens that yeah. sucks but but I'll, I'll say this and this might be a little inside baseball if it goes that direction we're, we'll find the people and this is why people like 
Chris are around because I knew that I, I had a limited view to Cinema 4D and I had a limited uh, palette to understanding Cinema 4D and somebody like Chris knew every dang button. So I wanted him to join us and be a part of this. Same with Chad. You know, I saw that these renderers and all these uh, other, you know, types of 3D rendering are a part of our world. And to have somebody like Chad around is so helpful for uh, not only us to learn from Chad, but also you guys. So uh, you could expect more of that. So as the market changes, as people shift around, we're going to we're going to try and be there and, and just help. That's that's the goal. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to find um, people that like if we if tomorrow we said we wanted to start uh, having Houdini tutorials on on the site, we would have to find somebody that kind of fits our style too of of teaching and um, it's not about finding somebody that knows the tool the best. They also have to know how to explain things in an easy and understand you know easy to understand kind of way. Um, so yeah, I, I think that you know that's something that I think a lot of people. Uh, take for granted almost because they just think that like oh well that person knows the software they they can show me what i need to know well if they're not if they're not really good at explaining things and teaching then it's really not going to be of much help i think everyone's uh, i think everyone's been at least in a part of that uh, where they go see somebody that they really like and sometimes it's even a band like think of a band you really like and then you go see them and they're like no they're not that really that great live but they're really good band in the studio Mm -hmm. um and I think that happens too with a lot of designers. Like a lot of people are super creative, but then when it comes to like them explaining how they're creative or why they do what they do, they're they're just like, I don't know, it just comes out. And that's not very helpful to um, a student. So I guess what I'm saying is, I'm just agreeing with you, Chad, is it's hard to find people that are passionate about what they do, that are really good at what they do, that could also explain it in a way that new people can understand it. So that's always something... I focused on at Grayscale Grill is getting good people that are good at what they do that are also, and this is the real key, good teachers that can share what they do and actually, you know, bring it to to you guys. So here's a challenge for the audience listening. If you know anybody that is a Houdini expert, is a great teacher, and kind of seems like they would make a, a good fit, send them our way. We'll check them out. And if we think the tutorials are, um, you know, fitting in line with what we what we want to do, then we'll start bringing that stuff to you. Um, but let's move on. Um, we have another question. Uh, this one is, is a slightly technical question. Um, it is from Alicio Pace at SwanZ79 on Twitter asking, how do how can I render X particles in Octane? Is there he's, he wants to know if X particles is supported in Octane? And um, I know you guys don't have Octane, so I'll I'll just answer this one and get this one off the list. You can render X particles in Octane. It's not as deep of as an as an integration as you have maybe like in in Arnold or something like that. But you can actually apply an object tag in Octane to an emitter and have it replace that particle with a custom piece of geometry or I think this a couple different primitives, one of them being like a sphere. And then if you want to use trails or something like that, you can actually apply an Octane tag and tell it to treat the trails as hair. And then you'll get control and it'll kind of like render out like, you know, like hair or like little spindles and stuff. Other than that, there's not a lot of control. I think I think X particles you can tie into scale and rotation, maybe not even r- radius, but there's a there's very limited integration. Uh, but there is some integration. 
hope that helps you. Uh, there are much better resources for octane in X particles than myself, but hopefully that 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 answers that question. All right, a little bit of a of a bigger question here uh, for the group here um, comes from uh, <clears throat> excuse me, rad scientist wants to know Teddy Rocksteady wants to know. I'm looking to make the transition from a 2D MoGraph After Effects artists to a Cinema 4D artist full-time. Any advice on the business side as a freelancer? So this is somebody who's predominantly looks like they're doing After Effects and wants to tradition or transition into more of a, um, sounds like uh, a freelancer, but doing only Cinema 4D. Yeah, definitely. Well, what? I mean, the basics I would say, and something I always hear is put together the 3D work that you've been working on. This is assuming that you kind of know the 3D a little bit. If you're looking to learn a 3D, go to grayscalegorilla.com. Once you've done that, you put together all of all of your 3D work that you can do. Hopefully, it doesn't look, just look like tutorials, but put your demo reel together and make it look like it's got 3D material on there because you're going to get hired for the type of work that you do. So if you have a gigantic 2D portfolio and you have a client that says, I want you to make a video, and you show them a demo reel with a bunch of 2D, they're going to go, oh, I kind of like that one. Let's make something like that. If you have a three, if you have a, a reel with a whole bunch of 3D on there, then they're going to say, oh, I like that, and then move towards that. So I'd say it's all about like the demo reel and what you're kind of, What's it, what, what's facing the world, the more 3D you put in there, then the more 3D you'll get, and hopefully you can make a smooth transition. From Is 3D. there any difference on the business side from being an After Effects freelancer to being a 3D freelancer? Um, and I mean, like, not, I mean, obviously you're going to, the tax thing is like, it's the same, you know, you're a freelancer, you're a freelancer, but... Is there a is there a difference on how you should approach the business side? Whether because, and the reason I say this is because it's really a, a kind of a loaded question. Because you you I already know the answer. I'm just curious what you guys think because I think you are. It's a bit different because it, very rarely are you um, asked to bring your own gear or. Uh, it, it's kind of a given that you're going to show up. If you're going to be an on-site freelancer, it's a given that they're going to have a machine that has After Effects on it. Whereas if you're doing 3D, um, it's a little bit more gear dependent, if, especially if you're asked to do Octane or you're asked to do something like that. Y you have to kind of almost, do you do you buy your own gear and bring it? Do you, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like there's that whole thing. Like, because this question is great because it makes me think like, um, as, as a bigger picture, there's freelancers that work from home and then there's freelancers that work on site. And I think that it's much easier to be a 2D freelancer um, on site and a little bit harder to be a 2D freelancer remotely and then inverse that for 3D. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you have more experience with that than than I do as far as bringing your own gear. And I think it's just about being clear with what your expectations are and how you're charging for that. Um, but I also think when he says business, I think there's a couple different ways to approach it. I mean, I think the first one is exactly what Chris said, which is the, the business slash marketing side of it. And that to me is sometimes the hardest part, learning how to invoice and what to say. And some of the language is something you just kind of learn over time. But that idea of like marketing yourself differently is um, what I kind of got out of the question as well, which is, what do I say to people um, to 
let them know that I also want to do 3D stuff. Um, and I think Chris nailed it, which is you have to show them what you're capable of before they'll ever pay you um, to to do that work. So exactly like get get your reel together, do uh, pro bono work, do stuff for friends, do stuff personal projects. Um, take a client, you know, ha- take a client that that trusts you, and 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 pitch them a 3D thing and have you know work with them to get your your reel up and sh- you'll never yeah you'll never get hired for stuff that you didn't do already um and you That's have to show that point. so what what you might want to do is even think about your website and about the marketing that you have um and and put the 3D tab above the after effects tab and and start pushing that side of your um uh, I say, I say website like, uh, that, that, that dates me. Like people still go to websites anymore, but yeah, uh, people have a website. Well, yeah. I know. I think that you, you, know, you know what I mean? Like think, think about getting the word out. It's up to you to get the message that you're, that you're changing, uh, and you have these new capabilities. Yeah, Sorry, Jay, I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm just going to repeat what both of you have already said. I mean, cause it's the truth. It's like you, you, um, are in charge of the image that you put out into the world. And if you want to be a 3D full-time uh, Cinema 4D freelancer, then, you, like you said, you have to show the world that's what you are. And if that means, you know, completely redoing, uh, you know, wherever you're putting your work, you, you should only put Cinema 4D 3D stuff on there. You should only refer to yourself as a Cinema 4D 3D freelancer. Um, because it, it's... People will just take you, you know, if you tell me, if your website, if I go to your website and it's just a bunch of, you know, motion design After Effects work, I'm going to think that's all I should hire you for. Um, if you have, uh, if you have nothing but like real flow, liquid sims on your site, even though you're really good at doing design, I would never hire you for doing design because you didn't show me design. You showed me real flow liquid sims. So put up the work that you do the work that you want to get hired for. And a lot of people, and that's what we're saying here is like, do the work you want to be hired for. Well, I, I haven't gotten that much work yet. I'm new. I'm, I don't have the, I don't have the jobs. I don't have the, the depth in my portfolio. It doesn't matter. Make the work that you want to be hired for. You want to do uh, 3d motion design and like, you know, make a, 3D chapstick commercial, go make that and put it up on your site. Then somebody will ma- will hire you to make something similar. Um, that's the best way. And I think that's what everybody here is saying is like, you just got to put the image, put the, put the job on your site that you wish you would be hired for. And then eventually that job will come. I, I'd hopefully. even say, I'd even say like, you even have to start mentally thinking of it differently. I'm picturing somebody doing an elevator pitch. Like if you're in the elevator and they're like, oh, what do you do? And you go, well, I've been doing motion design and, and 2D After Effects for 20 years, but I'm thinking about getting into 3D. They're going to hire you for the 2D because that's what you sound like you're experienced in. Mm-hmm. If you go like, oh, I do 3D design, you know, 3D animation, do you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's, now they're thinking, oh, it's a 3D guy, not a 2D guy who's got delusions of 3D. <laughs> delusions. <laughs> I like that. I like yeah, the it's, delusions. It's a marketing problem. And, and, and really what I would stress for anybody making a demo reel or a site is to always remember that you're going to get hired for what you put on there. And I think some people treat their site and their Behance and all that stuff as a everything place where they, they did it, they got paid and it has a logo on it. So I'm going to put it there. And I think early on you can maybe just put out everything, but 
as soon as you're starting to get to these details where you want to get hired for different stuff, you really have to be, you know, um, thoughtful of what people find when they Google your name and Google yourself, like go find what the language is, what, what people are confronted with when they Google you or go to your website or go to your Behance or whatever you send them to. And remember that you're in control of, of that message. Absolutely. Great answers. Great answers. All right. Uh, I'm going to break it up with a, with a tech question that I, I actually cheated and had to look up the answer before the show um, <laughs> because it did kind of hit me like, oh, yeah, what do they do? And that question um, came from doo -doo -doo, Gizmo. Gizmo Bearden on Twitter says, how about something on Codex? How do you guys pass stuff on to editors? And um, in particular, this person wanted to know about being on a PC because if you're on a Mac and you're working uh, with an editor, you're most likely rendering out a ProRes uh, QuickTime. And that's all good and fine and everybody's happy. Well, on PC, you can't render ProRes. And it's just this weird Apple uh, Windows thing. So what do you do? And I cheated here. Um, because like I said, I, I didn't know the answer. I, I know my style and what I did, but I wanted to make sure it was right. So I hit up two editor friends um, before the show and got the answer. So I'm just going to quickly read them off. If you're on a PC and you're working with editors and you're not sure how to get them your footage, always ask them first how they would like it because editors can be particular, as we all know. Um, if they're working in Premiere, there's a lot more options. If they're working in Avid, there's not as many. So if you want to do ProRes, and that's definitely how they want it, you're going to have to get a program called FFmpeg, which is an open source program that is uh, an encoder, but is a bit technical. It's only command line. So you're going to have to look at that and figure out how to make a ProRes based on that. If that doesn't work, you could use a, pro, a, a codec that Avid developed to kind of compete with ProRes, I think it's called DNxHD. That's another codec that's pretty decent and um, very lossless. Uh, otherwise, you could always use the tried and true animation codec, right, guys? Oh, oh baby, that's oh, a big man. that's a big file there, buddy. That's Oof. a big big file. Okay, so that is if you're doing something tiny, you know, and you want it uncompressed, and you want to don't have to worry about like FFmpeg and DNxHD and all these weird codecs. You can just do that, and you know they're going to be able to read it, but you know it's going to be big. It's going to be a big transfer. <laughs> it's going to be a big Dropbox <laughs> transfer. Okay, so the other thing that didn't really occur to me that kind of caught me off guard was like, okay, Premiere now will accept image sequences and actually handles them really well as long as they're not compressed. So if you do like a TIFF sequence or a DPX sequence or any sort of uncompressed image sequence, Premiere can actually handle that pretty well. So um, anyway, that's my little bit of advice on that. Do you guys have anything to add on that one? Yeah, I, I, I don't. It's been a while since I've worked with an editor and yeah, we you just ask the editor. That's that's such a great first uh, answer. Um, but yeah, I, I've actually heard of people having a Mac in their office just to just to compress. Um, uh, I forgot the name of it. Uh, ProRes. Pro yeah. yeah. And that being a big part of their process because the editor is so used to ProRes, they just have the Mac sitting there. They render out what they do and then they run it through ProRes and, and then it goes through. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that like you don't, 
you don't think about it being a problem because you're just so wrapped up in production and then you send one thing to your editor and they're like what the hell is this like i it you can't send me this i can't i can't open it i can't read it it's too big whatever the issue is that's why and every every editor that i've ever worked with always has a different approach to it which is why it's always good to get their input first and not demand that they work to your specs because ultimately it's it's not a big deal. I, no, it's gotten a lot easier. I mean, it used to be like when everybody was just on Avid or just on even uh, Final Cut, there was a lot more hoops you had to jump through to get stuff into their system. But now Premiere, I mean, it's so easy now. It's 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 pretty it's pretty great. All right. Um, next question uh, comes from uh, Abel Chen. Our arc, our, I'm going to screw that up. Wants to know, Nick, where the hell is the Beeple interview? <laughs> Glad you <laughs> asked. Um, and if, if you're the same person that said this on Twitter as well, um, hopefully I responded there, but uh, it is coming. It is actually um, done being uh, compressed and it is it is making its way up to YouTube and should be out in the next month. So um, tell everybody what that was. I mean, there's people out there that might not even know that that you interviewed people. Yeah. So at Half Res, which is um, a yearly um, motion design conference that uh, we throw, Grace Gilgrilla is a is a part of it. Uh, Chicago C4D and, and with Chris and Jack Bransfield, um, uh, we all kind of come together once a year to. Um, invite all of the motion designers uh it's and at, at first it started just in chicago but it, it grew from there um to people fly in from all over now who who came the farther uh from the furthest place this year do you guys remember it was i don't like, remember last like year. italy or something yeah yeah anyway some place i'm going off on a tangent but um this year or last year uh, in 2016 beeple uh joined us on stage and we got to do this really cool interview with him where we got to ask all these questions we've always wanted to know from people. Um, at least I know, and I did. And I went around to my friends and on Twitter, and we got we collected all these questions. And um, he was so gracious to sit down with us for almost an hour and just go through his process and how he how he makes all this stuff and how he does it every day. Um, so that interview was recorded, and it's going to be up. It looks like in March, so um, I know it's a little bit later than we um, at first thought, but uh, slowly all the all the video footage and all the stuff will be up on um, the site around March. And I also just had a, a the thought to put it as a part of the podcast. So for those of you who would rather walk around, like I do this all the time, I I have more time where I'm away from a screen where I just want to listen to stuff. We're gonna make that available in the podcast. So that if you're subscribed, you'll just get the Beeple interview somewhere around March. And the other thing I'll mention is the video, there was about a 10-minute chunk of video uh, where the camera turned off, um, where we didn't get the video part of the, of the interview, but we got the audio. So even if you watch the video version of Beeple's interview, um, the audio version is going to have like an extra 10 minutes of questions from the audience that uh, we didn't get on video. So oh, that's um, great. I didn't know that you still had the audio. I thought we just lost it forever and you had to be there live. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, we, uh, once, once I thought about what to do with the audio, like, well, this would be perfect. So we'll kind of put the video out and still the video is over a half an hour of, of interview. Um, and including, by the way, while we're talking about this, 
what's also going to be out in March is Chad's presentation about the past, present, and future of 3D animation. Um, and so that'll be a part of it. Chris's tutorial on uh, where he did a tutorial using Cinema 4D version 6. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Instead, yep, wow. Yeah, like... How many years ago? It was from like 2000 yeah, or something? 20, 20 years ago. Or <laughs> 17 years ago, yeah. Um, as well as uh, uh, Nick and Eric from Run Kick Shout did a really cool uh, talk. And, and for those of you asking questions about freelancing and stuff, you guys will like this. They did a talk about um, going from freelance to starting their own studio and some of the things that business-wise and perception-wise that they kind of went through in those um, in that area. So those that'll all be out in March. That's a long answer to that question. But for those of you who um, want to be at the next Half Res, we're also going to be uh, announcing tickets in March as well. So keep an eye open for that. If you guys want to join us, we'd, it's been growing every year. And it's yeah. so cool to see people, not only our Chicago friends show up, but more people from around the country and the world are showing up. So if you want to come hang out with you know, um, motion designers, um, like yourself and just be in a room and, and, and learn from each other. This is, uh, that's, that's what this place is turning into. So look for some tickets, um, coming up in March. And, uh, as far as the people interview, look for that in March as well. Awesome. Yeah. I think the, the half rest thing is, I guess, you know, I see this all the time on our Facebook and our Twitter. A lot of people work in different parts of the country that maybe don't have, the amount of people needed to even start a user group. Um, I want to say that half res is a great thing to come out to because it's not really, you could go to FITC, you could go to off, you could go to all these like, you know, conferences that are like days and days of classes and whatnot. But this is more of like a social, uh, party if you will like it, you're gonna see people talk about things that you're interested in but you're also gonna be just mingling all night there's no rooms or people are separated in there's no it's not a classroom setting it's it's like this great bar giant like i don't know what you is it like a well how'd you describe that space it's, it's, a, like, it's a music venue so the music, there's a bar yeah. in front and yeah there you go. It's a music venue. So you're going to be walking around and mingling and drinking. So if you live in a part of the country that you're having a hard time getting your user group started up, look, think about coming out to half res because it might just be that little bit of inspiration that you need for your year. You could get it in one night and uh, a hell of a hangover if, if everything goes right. Uh, <laughs> I had a two day hangover from the last one. Yeah. It's you, it's a lot of fun and you're going to meet a lot of people and get inspired and it's just, it's a good time. And we gave out amazing prizes. In fact, if you, if you're watching this on YouTube uh, behind me is one of the skateboards that we had made. And then this is like a sign that was hanging. So yeah, there's lots of um, fun prizes and it's just a good time. Um, all right. So that answers that people's coming out soon. People will be happy to see and hear that. Um, anyway. Okay. Wait, so before we get going, I forgot. Yeah. I, oh, that's so right. Just because I just recorded that intro and outro to that video with people's, um, uh, interview, I brought this thing out. And so during the interview, um, may I, I'll give this question away, I guess, but, uh, we, I asked people like where he got the name and he said he named him after this eighties toy that beeps at you. And, uh, literally I don't have the batteries in them, but when he, when he, when you cover up his eyes and stuff, he beeps, uh, this awesome, like seventies synthesizer style beep. Um, but even cooler, he, so Mike mentioned that on stage and the, the week after half res, he sent 
me, this people Your DAO. Your very own people. My very own people DAO. I hug them every night before I go to bed. And <laughs> check this out. It's got this sweet, like, you know, early 80s kind of 70s style logo, people logo. Um, but uh, I just want to show you guys this because look at it. It's a people DAO. I had um, no idea. If people crazy? were to design a doll, that's exactly the opposite of what I think his doll would look like. Which is <laughs> exactly, you know, like I would expect it to be some naked thing with glowing eyes and a Nazi hat or something. When this thing beeps, when the lights go out, when you're leaving work at, you know, nine o'clock at night, it actually is a little bit more spooky. So, <laughs> a little bit more like a beeple render. That's hilarious. So thanks, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's great. He should use that logo too. That's a killer logo. It's, it's a cool logo. All right. So um, you know, uh, we got another one here. Um, Federico Federico Garcia uh, liked the tutorial on takes. Would like to see more workflow stuff and wants to know where do we go? Where do all of us go to get our inspiration? What portfolio sites, social networks? What what places are we going? to get inspiration. Mm. I'll start with, um, I'll go first, I guess. Do it. Uh, make it easier. So for me, inspiration comes in the form of uh, just about everything, really. Um, places that I actively seek things are, uh, I use Feedly. I don't know if anybody out there knows what Feedly is, but it's, it's like an RSS aggregator. It, it just kind of collects websites and puts them into one digestible kind of news strip for me. Uh, I've been using it for a long time. So I usually, my daily routine is I check just like world news and that's just, you know, so that I know what's going on in the world. And then I check my Feedly, which then pulls from all sorts of different places. And I have my Feedly organized into um, CG stuff and art stuff and film stuff and that way i can kind of like you know get inspired see what's going on so that's my major thing is like having a place that i can then just dump links into and it feeds me them every day and then pinterest actually has become a really big uh part of my inspiration workflow is like i'll jump on pinterest and just go down some rabbit hole of you know i start off looking for design inspiration and i end up looking at like lego robots for like two hours getting inspired on, on that end and wanting to go make a cool Lego robot. So that's kind of like my two things. And then just, you know, talking to people that I know and seeing what they're up to and having them share work with me. And hopefully, um, you know, that kind of relationship will spark some inspiration too. All right, Chris, you go. Uh, I'll second Pinterest. I've been I've been using that for a few years now. It's pretty it's pretty neat. And I really like kind of storing my own pins when you find the ones you want. It's just I've got I mainly use it for Dungeons and Dragons. Like I built these two gigantic boards with like thousands of images of just anything I could think of to just have random inspiration for doing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but yeah, I don't have any other specific source. You know, I spend a lot of time on YouTube and Reddit and. And if I see something I like, I and it's usually like an image of some sort. Uh, I'll just I'll just immediately save it into Pinterest, so I have it to uh, to track down again later. I used to have some feeds I liked, but a lot of the sites died, so I got to check out this Feedly. Well, I mean, Feedly is just a thing. It's just like you have to feed it, you know, the websites that you're into. And I can I should actually I, don't, I think I can actually share. I'm, I'm looking right now. I think I can. Feedly? I think there's a way to sh for me to do that. I'll look into it. If I can share it, 
look for it in um, the show notes on this, and I'll do my best. Um, actually, yeah, and to be more specific, I uh, actually I use Reddit a lot. Like I'm on Reddit way too much, um, but on Reddit I do I did do a lot of curating where I have a lot of like image based things of like imaginary robots and and different landscape things and different photography things. So I do have a good solid feed of of like you know people creating costumes and mm-hmm. you know everything from you know world news to to you know, like awesome artwork so another another good resource i i use it so often that i don't even think of it as a that'd be like just saying television like that's not specific enough but it, a lot of people do not use reddit oxygen is my uh what, yeah. I, what I really i try that's, that's to why get I, like reddit. Reddit. I try to get into reddit man but there are so many trolls man and there's so many haters just hanging out there looking to squash stuff and it just kind of turned me off of it I don't, I don't know that I get that vibe, but I maybe it was the channels I was hanging out in, some questionable channels, perhaps. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I should just be more careful. Anyway, all right, Nick, what do you got? Um, I was thinking while you guys were talking that that question is always a tough one for me. It's it's uh, it's like when people ask me the future of of web des- or of design and stuff like that. It's like an, to me, it's a non-knowable question. And when I when I hear I, it's it's like this. Anything you're really into and anything you're digging and want to dig deeper into, you don't have to wake up and inspire yourself to go do that. It's like a natural thing. Like you you have this like urge to go learn something, so you just go start learning in it. It's you don't have to stop and go, "Well, I was really into that, but now I got to inspire myself to go get back into it." And it seems like a it's almost like a weird question to me. So what I what I've been thinking of when people ask how do you get inspired? It's, it's, I think of it like a really emotional question of like, I'm not into this today and it's kind of bumming me out. And how do I get my work done? Even though I'm not really digging it. Uh, it, it you know what I mean? I, I, it, it comes from a different angle rather than like, what websites do you hang out on to, to be inspired? Because I don't think it works out that way. I don't think it works. Like if you don't want to do something, then you go to a website and now you do want to do something. I don't think that that's at least that's not how my brain works. So when I think of inspiration, I think of like, first of all, taking a step back and deciding if you want to be doing this, you might be doing the wrong work if you're always constantly trying to need to inspire yourself to go do it. In other words, a professional, somebody that does this for a living can't rely on inspiration to get their work done. They have to go work. They have to go like look at the project, get it done on the hours that they're ready and not necessarily wait for divine inspiration. So that's like my old man kind of (laughs) worry about the word inspiration, which kind of worries me. Really deep right there. But on on a more surface level, what what actually does inspire me, um, what actually gets me in and working and moving stuff with my hands is almost always the is it's almost always remembering that it's another person on the other side of the screen that made that that is that is no more of a person than i am um that is what inspires me when i see something and i'm like wow that is really cool like i could never do that that's when i get depressed that's when i'm like oh i i can't do this i'm not very good at this and i, I i'm not you know i'm not ever going to be as good as they are but when I remember that they're just a person that put the, the work in, just like I could be the person that put the work in, that I need to get off whatever I, I need to get the heck off of these platforms that are inspiring me and actually go do the work and get better at what I want to do. 
that's when I, my, my feathers get ruffled and I'm like, I'm going to go make the coolest daily render in the whole world right now. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that, that I, I didn't, I don't want to like derail that question because I think it comes from a good, um, I think it comes from a good, um, place, but for me, inspiration comes from seeing something that I'm like, that is awesome. And I want to learn how they did that. And I'm going to go figure it out. And I immediately close down wherever I am and I go either try to recreate it, right? Like I, that's the biggest thing that I learned from is recreating how other people, other people's work to see how in the heck I would approach it and see if I could even do it technically. That is what inspires me. So what, what I would, the reason I don't like talking about this, even though I'm going on and on about it, is because I think you need to figure out whoever is asking the question and whoever else over the next 50 years that is going to ask the question, how do you stay inspired? It's up to you. Like it's up to you to find the things and the situation and the coffee and the speakers and the, the, the window placed and the desk at the right angle to get your butt into gear and start doing the work that you like to do. And if you're not setting yourself up for that, then you're setting yourself up to to like, if you have to do so much to get inspired, you may not be doing the, the, the right thing in the first place. Uh, I, if I can interject on that, uh, I, I think I, I agree with everything you're saying, but I feel like there's almost two different uses of the word inspiration here. It's almost like motivate. Uh, I think a lot of people say inspiration when they mean motivation. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, at least the way I'm interpreting this and, you know, I, I would say nobody feel bad for doing like the stuff me and Chad were talking about is what is a reliable source of just stuff that you see it and you're like, I want to make that. So it's not like I've, I'm failing to make something like, how do I go make it? Or, you know, how do I force myself to make it? And more like I'm on this, I'm at this thing. I got these books or this video series or whatever. And you're like, oh my goodness, look at that. I want to make it. Let me go figure out how to do it. And what are your reliable sources of finding something like that? And so Reddit and Pinterest are great for like, wow, that's cool. I wonder if I can do it in 3D and I go and try and do it. I, mm -hmm. I think you're exact. I, I love that. And I don't, I definitely am not discouraging any, any, anything that you could do if it's going to a site or seeing other people's work or going to Pinterest, anything that will get you in the mindset to go make something is, is your is the stuff that you could do. And so what, what I'm saying, I guess, is experiment with those things and find out what you do. Because sometimes people go look on on Pinterest and they're discouraged. Like the, a different type of person will look at all this awesome work on, on Pinterest and be discouraged to not go put the effort in because they are literally un, like frustrated. Unattain that they unattainable. Can't. Yeah, they're like, oh, I can't ever make work like, like so-and-so. Therefore, I'm not going to do it at all. And now I'm going to close it all down and do what I, you know, and not put the work in. So I guess what I'm saying is you have to find that for yourself. And it's hard for me to say, I could say maybe what works for me, but I, I always assume that everyone's got their, their own way of doing things. So I, I check out Reddit and I, I, you know, have sites I go to and just kind of lurk around. Usually it's a one person thing. Lately, it's been Aaron Draplin and his work and how simple and how how like uh you know 70s and 60s it is and how like flat it is and i've been really inspired by him so i just i i kind of like when i feel like i need something to go off of i'll start looking at his work and it, it triggers something in me so if that's helpful to others but what i i want you guys to really figure it out for yourself because some people like to listen to music 
this way and some people like to listen to music with words and like it, it's it's that specific that's how i view inspiration it's it's as specific as the type of music you like to listen to so it's hard to share those things no i mean that's a good that's a great answer it's a totally fine answer i think for and if we start to take that question into the more deeper levels that that you started exploring there it's really interesting because then you you know you 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 need to start looking for inspiration not in your peers but maybe in completely other places like i believe that if you want to have good original creative thoughts then you need to have a really good broad um amount of sensory input and because all all good ideas are are the the uh your brain's ability to take different things that you've seen or experienced and connect them in new ways. And so if you don't give your brain enough material to work with, then you're not going to have good original thought provoking ideas. But if you, instead of, you know, going to motionographer, you maybe go to an art museum and you, you look at the masters as opposed to who just, created what commercial for Kentucky Fried Chicken, you're going to get better ideas coming to your head just by broadening that door a little bit and, and looking outside of the norm for your inspiration and just feeding your brain subliminally all of this great classic work, whether it's film or sculpture or painting or art or even science. Um, it just, it, it, that vast uh, amount of, of, input is going to give you different ideas on how to approach creative work, um, writing, uh, everything is just going to come with more experience comes more ideas. So, um, that's why I think, you know, that question is interesting. It can kind of go like, well, what websites do you go to look for, you know, cool stuff? And you, well, I go to here and I go to there and I go to there. But more than that, I think what I liked about your answer, Nick, is that it, it, it's about that, and it's also about something more. It, it's about asking yourself what really gets you out of bed, and uh, how do you give yourself more of that? And that's cool, man. I like that. All right, man. Like uh, I like this Q and A thing. I'm I'm digging this. Hey, but by the way, if you're listening and you'd like us to answer these questions, don't forget um, we're gonna try this live show out uh, Monday the 13th of February, and also. Um, in general, like it, drop a, a question in the comments, um, either on our blog post or in YouTube. And I think we should at least maybe make this even a segment where we try to answer at least one or two um, every week. And yeah, uh, it is cool. Thinking, like on the fly, thinking and discussing what these questions even mean sometimes. It's kind of cool. I, I like this stuff. All right, well, we're going to break it up because it seems like we get so a lot of the questions that I've gotten are like really kind of deep questions, like sort of like that last one wasn't super deep, but deeper than most. And then technical questions. So I'm going to I'm going to hit you with a technical question now. Uh, a lot of people, I think, are, are, you know, with the render wars, which we didn't even get to the render war update yet, which we will. Um, what's the deal? Uh, Flavio uh, Denise wants to know. What physical renderer can't do that other render engines can? And I think the deeper question there is like, why should I care about third-party rendering? What is it that I can't do in in physical? And I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna send that question to Nick to start off. Whoa, um, 
man. So for me, I've only used physical and um, Arnold recently. Uh, Chad's been showing me a little bit more Arnold. And <clears throat> I don't know the technical limitations of like once you once you want to do this one specific thing, then you just can't and you have to go use this other renderer. I tend to think of it as a um, mostly a speed issue so and a money issue. So physical is, uh, you know, it comes with Cinema 4D. So you got that huge check mark there. You already uh, can run it. Um, you could also, if you have a studio version of Cinema 4D, install a render node on any machine you own locally and, and do a team render, which we have a uh, recent tutorial about that if you want to see how to set that up. So to me, um, physical has a lot of nice checkboxes because it's built in, it's standard, it's it's part of the, the software. And, and it's really a pretty good renderer as far as visually, um, if, if you know what you're doing with that renderer and you avoid some of the pitfalls like you know, some of the reflectance defaults and some of the weirdness that comes with physical renderer, it's actually a very, very pretty renderer. And, and in some cases can approach, um, you know, Arnold and, uh, and Octane style rendering. Take a look at Rick Lunsko's stuff that uh, we just posted on Instagram. Rick um, helped us out and um, made some renders for our daily render series over on Instagram. And he uses all physical and... Um, and HDRI, some from our um, uh, some of our upcoming packs, by the way. Um, so go take a look at his work and, and know that all of that stuff came from physical render. I think it looks pretty good. So what I would say is, if you're not running into limitations, then you shouldn't even be worrying about um, why you need to change and all that stuff. So for me, um, if you have a client that needs this turned around and you need two minutes of animation turned around by tomorrow, uh, and you do that a lot, you may want to look at a different renderer that renders faster. Um, or for example, if you, um, you know, it, it, another, another reason to do it is because that's what people around you are using. So you may want to just be compliant with other freelancers around you and understand that they can hire you and you can work in their system and not only with one system. So to me, it's about expanding your knowledge. It's about knowing the limitations and then jumping into it. Um, instead, instead, what I see of a lot of people thinking that they need Octane or they need Arnold right now to make good looking stuff. So I don't know. I'm a little that's all a over great, the place. No, that's a good point. I mean, yeah. I agree. I think, I think physical is. Wait, 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 Chad, I want to go before you because you're the expert. So you, <laughs> have, yeah, if you go, I'll have nothing to say. <laughs> I like right. that. I love it. All right, you go. <laughs> Uh, well, I, and I I have spent virtually no time in the third party renderers, but I I see the images coming out of them, and so it it more turns into for me, and I can list the things that Cinema's just really slow at, uh, and it turns into a series of checkboxes. So like subsurface scattering, like oh well, first of all, if you use any one of these things, it's not that big of a hit. But as soon as you start layering up a couple of them, and even you know a big thing is blurry reflection. Blurry one layer of blurry reflection does not take that long, but a blurry reflection re reflecting a blurry reflection that takes a long time. And then you know uh, blurry reflection, blurry refraction, blurry refraction will get you every time. Caustics take a really long time, and uh, if you as soon as you get to like really micro detail and any sub poly displacement, those can take a really long time. And when I see a lot of the, the renders from these, you know, the third-party render engines, 
you can see where they're they're just cranking certain things of this like out quickly like subsurface scattering in cinema totally doable but it, it's it's such a ubiquitous part of almost every render i think that like comes out of octane that like it, it i don't i haven't used octane but my assumption is it's pretty fast in octane otherwise you wouldn't see it in every render meanwhile it's slow in cinema so you don't see it that often so it uh, it does turn into like a for yeah, me you, it is you want to know what a boxes. renderer is good at look at what most people are using it on Instagram for <laughs> yeah, you check out some daily renders, and that that's what that render engine's good at. Okay, now now okay. to you, Chad. Sorry. Sorry. Well, no, that that that's a really good point. I I just you know I think you guys summed it up. There's really not much I would add to this other than um, I think you know is physical capable? Yes. Is it fast? No. Um, how do you know when you're ready to try out a third-party renderer? You'll know when you start to do work that you you start to get frustrated by either the lack of features, the lack of speed. Um, you'll know when it's time to start looking other in other places. Um, and maybe you won't. And if you're not, and and don't don't make the investment into GPU rendering or Arnold if you're if you don't need to like why like don't don't think that just because everybody's on um, octane that you need to go out and buy four cards and become an octane expert if that's not what you're interested in if that's not what you're doing for your job um, I agree with Nick if you want to be compliant with other artists you're a freelancer maybe you're a part of a team sometimes and they're using Arnold then yes you should know Arnold and you should probably figure out a way to get it um, I think that it, it it's one of those things like you don't really you can outgrow physical really fast or you can continue to use it forever it's, it really depends on the work that you're doing um, I try when I first opened up cinema I was like okay I'm gonna check out physical and see what it's all about and I remember I was doing like a car thing and I got really pretty far in it and I was like, wow, this is really good. It looks great. I was getting pretty decent render times, although I had kept everything pretty low because I wanted that speed of inter interaction. And then once I started adding all the final bells and whistles, the glossy reflections, the cleaner shadows, the GI and everything that I needed to make it final quality, the render time just went through the roof. And I, I thought, well, Okay, so this is it's not going to do what I needed to do uh, for for a final quality output of this caliber that I was had in my head. So let me look at Arnold. Let me look at Octane and and those things. But um, uh, yeah, it, it's really a personal decision, and that sounds really cheesy, but it is because you have to ask yourself what kind of work do you want to do? What kind of work do you think you're going to be doing in a year? Is this doing what you needed to do? Um, you know, great if if jumping into GPU rendering means that you're going to have to buy completely new hardware, then you had better make sure that that's what you want and need because it's an investment, you know, like it's not something that you're, well, Arnold, you know, is not cheap either, but to buy a complete, like if you're going from Mac to PC, just because you want to get on to, to let's say, um, uh, Octane, that's a big investment. So not saying that you shouldn't do it if that's where your job is headed and that's where your work's headed, but just be cautious, you know, like, and don't don't dis physical's ability to make pretty pictures because it can make pretty pictures. It just takes longer. Yeah, but I I would um this might be an outdated an analogy, but I would um think of it like what video game system you would want to get. Um, so you know, eight, ten years, ten years ago, I guess now, 
technically speed wise and chip wise and graphics wise the nintendo wii was like not very capable but the games were really fun and your family could all enjoy it and you could like play it for 15 minutes and you know in between renders and then go back to work and it was really like easy to 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 use then the hardcore gamers would want to play halo or call of duty so they would need an xbox right you get my analogy i don't have to continue it it's not a it's not (laughs) it's not the right it's not there is no right answer it is all dependent on what you want to do with it and what like what your um, needs are so think of it like that like it's it's not um this one's better than this one it's all dependent on what you were working on what your team's working on what what might be big in your city where you work like if you're a freelancer that uh, you know to bring it back there so it, there is no right answer that's why it's such a hard conversation to have. it is a really hard one man because i get asked that all the time because you know the whole rendering thing um, it, it's kind of a big topic right now. And people are like, well, you know, I noticed they'll be like, I noticed you used Arnold for this and not Octane. Do you want to like, why is that? And I'll just be really, I'll be like, because I used, first of all, I use whatever tool is right for the job. And I don't, I don't, um, uh, I don't take sides based on, you know, whatever brand loyalty crap you want to, talk about but I, I basically whatever render I choose it's because it was the right tool for the job that I was doing and um, I'm not one to and that's why I know so many different tools is because I don't like using things that aren't a good fit for the job that I'm working on and so I'll find something that's a better fit I'll learn it just just because it's a better fit um, so yeah you, you really got to kind of evaluate what you're working on and figure out what is the right tool. Just because your your friend is using Octane, making these really awesome subsurface balls, like does that mean that you need it when all you're doing is rendering out you know products from you know some factory or something? Probably not. Um, so yeah, good questions to ask yourself, I guess. All right, moving on. Um, here's one. Um, here's one for Chris. Uh, let me see. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, where was it? I had it here. Okay, the, this person wants to know, can they use HDRI link with Signal? Hmm. Uh, and what would be what would be like a, a typical use case for that? I I can't. There's only one parameter in Link, and it's the the HDR you're feeding it. So uh, I don't think so. I don't think there's any compatibility between the two i mean you could link that parameter but wouldn't do anything no so yeah i i don't think that there's any reason to do that because we just have that selection well to say to say to say the obvious i'll say they are compatible which means you could use them both together in the same scene (laughs) oh yeah um you can light your scene with hdri link and then animate any parameter including hdri link with signal so in that case yes but in the practice thank you for your the, the context there yeah, I was, yeah. I, was getting, I was getting specific. In the specifically, if you're using an HDRI link tag and a signal tag, you can't use link to drive. H, I'm sorry, you can't use signal to drive HDRI link because there's nothing really to drive. But you know, you could be driving the brightness parameter on your HDR sky element or whatever the case is. Yeah, right. signal signal's tough. And I think actually, Chad, can you do us a favor? Can, <laughs> 
anytime I try to describe Signal, I come at it from an After Effects perspective and talk about expressions and talk about the wiggle expression and all that stuff. Mm. Can you can can you 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 seem to have a better grasp on Signal than than um, a lot of people, especially when I try to talk about it. I talk in circles sometimes, um, but it's such a th it's a thing I use all the time, and I know you've been using it a lot. Can you explain Signal in like a better way <laughs> than I can? You're putting me on the spot here, dude. Please. Um, all right. So when you think about Signal, think about it as imagine every parameter in Cinema 4D, every slider, everything you could possibly animate. What if you could connect that to a little engine that would run and drive that parameter for you? So let's say you wanted to have a ball bouncing up and down forever and ever and ever. You don't have to set a keyframe. You literally would just take the Y of that that little ball's um, position and drag that onto Signal. And now you've told Signal, hey, dude, you're going to drive this now. Have fun. And then you dive into your Signal settings, and you either make it go up and down. You make it, you know, you say, how many frames do you want that to happen? It's literally like you're building a little engine that's going to drive parameters, and it can drive any parameter, which is really what why I like it so much. I think a lot of people think, well, you know, is it only for is it only for like you know making looping you know abstract stuff? No, it's not. Actually, I've used it to I put it on cameras to add camera wiggle. I've used it on lights to make lights flicker on and off. Um, it's literally kind of this this open plugin that I think a lot of people don't understand it because it because it is so big and kind of you know, blobby, like what, what is it? Like, well, just think about it like that. It's, it's just, it's a thing that's going to drive a parameter for you and it does it completely procedurally. So you can edit it on the fly. You can change the duration. You could have 10 of them. And I, and Chris made some cool scripts that allow you to adjust multiple signal tags at the same time. Um, yeah. Is that, is that good? Dude, I guess <laughs> I like you nailed it. Love it. It's a little, it's a little animation engine. Like it is, and, and and for those of you from the slightly more technical side, it is a procedural animation tool, and it it literally, um, if you like procedural, uh, the idea of not having to, if you like the idea of, of a system and not hand keying something, then this is for you, um, because it it it's not something that you're going to animate a character with because the character animation takes, you know, like got to go in there by hand and make it do all the stuff. But for everything else, like it's really cool because you can, you can layer up signal to do some really interesting things and then you can grab all of them and change the duration. Um, and it, it's just, it's useful both in after, in, in like after effects kind of MoGraphy stuff, but it's equally, I think is useful in more of like a visual effects, um, way for like layering up secondary animation. A lot of people don't like understand that like to make something look real, it's not just about moving something from A to B, but also giving it secondary animation, which is oftentimes really subjective and really hard to do in a natural way. So like, let's say you're moving your, your camera is just panning, you know, we're just going to pan the camera from, from left to right. You could just animate the, the lamest keyframe you want. It could just literally be like a, a default ease keyframe of like panning left to panning right, then throwing a signal tag on top of it and adding just a little bit of that like secondary wobble and noise to just really bring your stuff to that like next level of realism. Awesome. 
Dude, see, this is good. Can you make a video for the signal page now? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just cut that out. Put that. <laughs> that anyway. Um, okay. Well, all right. We we have a that. we have more questions. Yeah, we have a couple more. This one's kind of an interesting one because it's something that I'm always looking for advice on because I don't ever feel like I have this part of the of the whole our world right, which is um, Boris Blues wants to know. Um, I would love to hear Nick's opinion on the top of organizing renders, photos, videos, archiving, indexing, hard drives, cloud storage, all that stuff. Mm. I want to. I want to add to that. I'm curious, Nick, how you will because because I think there's the rant version, and then there's the what you act. There's what it should be, and then what you actually do. I, wanna, I know you have very strong opinions on that. Actual. I have actual. I have actual. I'll give you the rundown. Um, this has been true for about ten years now. Um, I will have a um, my my work drive with all the uh, with all the software on it is the fastest drive I could get my hands on. Right now, it's a SD drive. Um, my my render drive is usually a little bit bigger, and right now it's an external drive, and I try to keep that as large as I can. Right now, it's a three terabyte drive. I use Backblaze to back up. Uh, daily backblaze is online backup so they trickle everything i put on my computer slowly goes up to their servers at backblaze so that if my computer explodes right now that i can go call backblaze or email them on a friend's computer and say hey um send me a drive of everything and then they actually will send it to you or allow you to re-download it that's my basic day-to-day -day backup i also use time machine which also gives me a local backup um i've I've had bad luck with hard drives, so I back up everything. My local machine is backed up everything here, including my uh, second uh, uh, external drive, which is called my media drive. My media drive and everything on this computer is every two hours or so backed up to Time Machine, which is also a hard drive sitting here. So that again, if my computer explodes, I don't have to call Backblaze. Um, actually, if my computer explodes, I have a backup here. If my office explodes and I lose those backup drives, then I could call Backblaze. When these drives get full, when my media drive gets full, which it is right now because um, podcasts, we record video, all these tutorials, sometimes they're like 50 gig screen flow files. This fills up pretty fast. What I do is I have what I call, a lot of people call them, is a hard drive toaster. So this is a little device that, that is basically an external casing for a regular hard drive that you could just plug raw hard drives into like it's a piece of toast in a toaster. It mounts on your desktop and then you could basically buy super inexpensive raw drives from, I just use Amazon, get two, three terabyte drives, whatever the price point is. Don't go, you don't have to get the super expensive ones, whatever ones are pretty cheap. So every time this uh, drive fills up, which is a three terabyte drive, I'll buy a three terabyte Amazon. I'll actually buy two of those. I'll buy two um, three terabyte external, or not external, just raw drives. I plug them into the toaster. Then I go through an entire process of going through my media drive and getting, I don't get rid of them. I make an archive um, folder so that I call it archive um, January, February, 2017. Then I go through it's, it's usually about a half a day process. I go through all these old files that I've been not using, old YouTube thumbnail files, anything that makes sense, old projects that I'm finished with. Uh, and I'm thinking now of the freelancers out there, projects that you're finished with that you don't think the client's going to come back anytime soon. 
archive it all. Put it in the archive folder. Don't drag it directly to the drive yet. Just move it to the archive folder, which means it'll transfer faster. You're not waiting on a transfer. It's just organizing it into archive. And then fill that up until it's two or three terabytes. Put your toaster in. Then drag that whole folder onto the new drive. So you're dragging it all to the external um, uh, raw drive there. Wait for the backup. That could take that could take a day sometimes, depending on transfer speeds. It could take a long time. And then uh, do that twice. So now I have two backups of my external um, on those raw drives. I also buy little cases that are like old school Blockbuster VHS cases, but for hard drives, I buy those. I write directly on them what the date was. And then I also look at some of the main projects that are inside of it. For us, maybe it's plugins or maybe it's a tutorial that we did. I write down a short list of roughly what's on it. Then I also use a program called Media um, Catalog. Well, this is getting really complex. <laughs> hey, you asked me for the real deal. And this is really, really serious. I take this very seriously because I've lost stuff in the past and I've lost work that I've done and it's heartbreaking. Um, so I, then I use Media Catalog. What Media Catalog does is it scrapes your hard drive, which is now in the toaster. It scrapes that drive and it gets every file name and every folder and it puts it in this little catalog. What that allows me to do is once I eject these two raw drives now that have all these archives on it, out of my computer, it allows me to open up Media Catalog and now search for old things and it will tell me what drive it's on. So it's, it's almost like my library. If I want to figure out where the Cherry 7-Up renders are from 10 years ago, or however long it's been, eight years ago, I can go type in Cherry 7-Up. It'll pull up all the hard drives that have the Cherry 7-Up. I could go to my wall. I could grab that hard drive and, and get it. The last thing, and then I'll shut up. The reason I make two copies is one stays local. What I mean by local is at my office so that if I need to get that file, I could go to media catalog, find it. And then if you're a freelancer, you could go type that project in that you need to work on now, or a client came back four years ago, they want an update. You could go now to your wall of hard drives, pick out a copy, plug it in your toaster, upload it back to your working drive and start working. The reason I make two is one of them stays here and one of them goes home. That is my ultimate backup plan. Cause if the building burns down, either my home burns down or the office burns down, I still have a copy that I could go use and find it and I could back up and replace. Um, wow. that is, you, have, you have really been burned. I, I was heartbroken. Like I, I had like, <laughs> I can tell like this, this entire, like that's the most elaborate process I think I've ever heard. Um, and I, I know that that probably came from you lost some major thing, right? Took a uh, very, 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 big loss. Um, and it came from a Drobo. Uh, and, and I still don't trust Drobo. I think they're better these days. But early on when Drobo was new, I got one of their robots that they promised would keep everything super backed up and ready to go. And uh, I ended up losing about four terabytes of of stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. So I, yeah. I take it very seriously, um, especially with, with business. If you're a freelancer, be sure you take it seriously. And and none of this is expensive. Backblaze is $6 um, a month, I think, something like that. Um, these hard drives are raw. Like what what's what's a terabyte even cost now? 20 bucks a terabyte? You know, like you can get such hard drives so cheap now. These cases are a buck a piece. And really what it takes is every six months or so, I'll go, I'll go through this process. I'm coming up on one really soon. I'm starting to drag old projects into my archive, knowing that 
it's that, that my, my media drive is filling up. I'm going to go through that whole process and then have it all backed up. So I, I do take it very seriously. Sorry for the long rant, but I know people have asked me in the past and I say it's complicated and I don't talk about it, but there it is. If you guys have any more questions, you can bug me um, offline or on Twitter and I'll, maybe I'll break this down if you guys are interested. Well, all I, have Sorry to about say, that. <laughs> all, I, all I have to say after that is damn. You know, like, <laughs> I, feel, I feel totally like I am exposed. Like at any moment, I'm going to be, uh, I will have lost everything. I'm not nearly that, that safe. Like I said, I've been very, um, I don't use this word very often, but I've been blessed. Like I've, I've had good luck in my life and my health and my career and all these things, but hard drives have it out to get me. They have, um, <laughs> obviously <laughs> they're, they, uh, I've had more than one problem with, with hard drives. Um, and, and this is even with trying to back things up, getting things like Drobo, which is supposed to be double redundant and all this stuff. So I've had, I've had, um, you know, uh, I've had problems with hard drives and, and, and what I would say is, is it's um, I recommend at least giving some sort of worry about this because this is your livelihood and it's all digital and it's no, all yeah. bits. And I'm, not not trying to, I'm not trying to tease you saying that it's not, it, it, it's definitely um, you have a system that is far safer than, than most. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that, that, you do you, you know, like that's, I, I go overboard for sure, but I hope it at least scares somebody out there to at least go get Backblaze, go get Backblaze, install it, pay the six bucks. Cause it'll literally take everything on, not just your computer, but all your external drives and put it up in the cloud. And I know some of you have brands and stuff that you can't do that with. And I understand. Um, but if you have the ability to scrape your computer, let them deal with it. It is the cheapest, like, um, like, comfortable breath I could take every day is looking up at this backblaze icon and they go, got it. Remaining files, zero out of zero. That means everything right here is up in, in their world and they're taking care yeah. of it. If that, if, if, if you do just that, I'd be much happier. I use, I don't use backblaze. First time I've ever actually heard of that one. I use crash plan, which is sounds like the exact same product where it nightly, you know, analyzes your system and whatever's changed, it uploads and they'll send you a drive if it all goes to hell or you can download um, the backup or whatever. Uh, I highly recommend doing those as well. And I'm not nearly as, as um, organized in that respect. Like usually um, my hard drives are, I've got two internal SSDs. They're both 500 gigs. So one of them is like a system drive and the other one is like my working drive. So whatever job I'm currently working on is on the working SSD. When that job, project, whatever gets finished, I put it in two places. It's going to get archived to my Google Drive, which I pay for a terabyte of storage on Google Drive and a terabyte of storage on Dropbox. Dropbox, I tend to just use for like, you know, sharing stuff with other people, GSG stuff. Um, it's more of like, uh, I don't think of it as like safe storage. My Google Drive, however, because I don't sync that, it's literally I upload and forget about it. That's my, um, I put it up there after I, when I archive the job or project, and then I also put it on an external USB 3 drive, which is similar to your toaster drive, only I just find whoever's selling them the cheapest that week, and I get like a 500 gig uh, USB 3 um, drive, and then I just, you know, label it and throw it, throw it in the back. Um, so it's, it's, it's triple redundancy. I don't, I don't have the, um, I don't take a copy home. I work from home. So I guess if, if everything went to hell here, I would just get it from crash plan. But 
Um, yeah, I don't have like a, a system other than sometimes what I'll do instead of zipping it before I put it on Google Drive is I'll just like literally leave it, you know, structurally how it is. So that way I can use Google Drive search functions because Google Drive has really great search. It's Google. So you can like search for just about anything if it's mm -hmm. up on your Google Drive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, again, I guess the, the two things that we have in common is like the crash plan and uh, backblaze. Chris, what do you what do you what do yeah, you rock? I, I don't I don't have anything to add to that. A lot of my stuff is inherited from from Nick's system. I'll I'll just add that to anybody listening, probably ninety eight percent of you have been meaning to back something up and haven't done it. So go do that right now, or as soon as you get to work, or as soon as you get home, go do that backup. Do it. I, I know yeah. you've been meaning to, and you haven't had time. Go do there's, it. There's a saying: um, three is two, two is one, one is zero. If you have one of anything, you might as well not have it because it could go away. So don't, if it's important to you, if you have files, uh, and you know what, work, that's important too. But if you have, I'm thinking of people out there that might have family uh, photos of their kid growing up. You've just dumped all these, you know, all these uh, digital SLR files on your computer somewhere and you kind of shared them and you don't really have a backup. Consider at least getting a time machine if you're on a Mac and, and Backblaze. Um, don't go through the heartbreak that I went through. Yeah, I mean, on a consumer side of this, I see so many people dealing with a problem. And that problem is they bought a 16 gig iPhone. Oh my God, And they are out of space. They, you know, who would want to pay for Apple's cloud? I mean, it's stupid. Like it's ridiculously expensive. I'm going to solve everybody's problem right now. Um, if you haven't already heard of this, you probably have. Um, but you can get Google Photos for your iPhone. And what that's going to do is it's going to back up all of the photos on your iPhone to your Google Cloud, which is if you already have a Gmail account, you've already got it. And it will allow you to, now they're not going to be one-to-one -one if you have a phone that takes ridiculously high-resolution pictures. I think it's slight, slightly smaller when it gets backed up to yep. the cloud, but it's free. You're not paying a dime for this. You can actually right now go to your iPhone, download this app, upload all the photos on your iPhone, and then say clean, uh, I think it's like um, clean my phone or something like that. And the app will say, okay, I've already backed up all these photos. We're good to delete these off your phone. And boom, you just like got half your storage back on your on your phone in you know however long it takes you to upload. I tell people about that all the time because they're just like, it's like this, um, I feel like there's a whole lot of people out there that just like fill up their phones and don't know what to do because getting stuff and back when I used an iPhone, that was my biggest complaint was getting stuff off of the iPhone was such a pain in the ass uh, that it would frustrate the hell out of me. Um, and I never liked to do the whole, um, what do they call the syncing thing? Exactly, yeah. I, yeah. The iTunes thing hated that. Um, so anyway, that, I can't stress that enough. Like, try that out and and clean up some space off your phone. Because you want to you want to see heartbreak. Go to, go to the Apple Store in your town and watch <laughs> as parent <laughs> yep. parent after parent after parent come in with a phone that they dropped in the lake or the or the bathtub, um, and say, "Hey, I need a new phone. Really sorry." And they slowly realize that everything on there all their photos from all their vacations for the last two, three years that they never backed up is now gone forever. Yep. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's something I think we, we, we all need that moment maybe at Thanksgiving where we need to say, Hey, everybody, like I give thanks for this. And then also 
is everybody backed up this year? Like, this, is, <laughs> this is a real serious problem here. Um, yeah, good question though. We should have like an entire. We could break this down. That, that's like a whole. That's a, like a whole boring podcast we could do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, speaking, uh, speaking of that, where we are running long already. Yeah. Oh, well, so, okay. Q and A, dude. I'll bring if you're listening and you have a question, um, put it in the comments. We would love that. Or or uh, Twitter. Should we have like a way to have people ask questions for the podcast? Well, should what they you should like do a right hashtag? Now. Just get ready for the live one next week and show up in the chat room there to ask those questions. Yeah, yeah I think if you, can't, if you can't come, if you can't tune in live or or you just are too busy, we totally get that. And if you have a great question you want to ask, I think the best place to do that is I started a little bit of a, of a thread on our Facebook page. Um, and I'll be checking that um, before next week's live show. Um, also... Twitter is good, but make sure you hit us, you know, maybe before the show, uh, not today, because it'll probably get just lost in the feed. Um, but yeah, or the comments of this of this podcast would be good. There's a million ways to, to get in touch with us. You guys know how to get a hold of us. Put yeah. it somewhere. We put it on the list. Yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much all we had for this week's podcast. Again, um, thanks uh, everybody for, for tuning in, checking us out. As always, make sure you... You hit the old like button if you're watching us on YouTube and subscribe if you haven't done so already. If you're listening to us on uh, iTunes, uh, what, what's the deal? We get re If we get reviewed, it puts us in a better place. Is that how that works? Yeah, I mean, iTunes, it, it's all algorithms these days, right? But um, your reviews not only make us smile, but it also helps iTunes understand that people are listening and enjoying this um, this podcast. So yeah, if you're listening through iTunes or even if it's through, you know, uh, overcast or any, I, anything that uses iTunes, we'd love a, a review. Um, and make it honest. We want to hear how we're doing. So I yeah. appreciate it. You don't like my hat. Go ahead. Tell me. Hat. Dude, yeah, dude your, your, hat, your, your hat, hat actually, when you're tidying the corner, it keeps making me think of that, uh, painting the girl with pearl where she's wearing that blue hat. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know, I'm, not, I'm not even joking. I Googled that image earlier. Oh, my God. I think Chris has I'll, a I'll, put, I'll put that in the show notes. Chris has a crush on me, and I think that's what we've learned here. I Who think it's this? when you're really tiny in the corner wearing a hat, then it, you're reminding me of, of a young girl with a giant pearl in her ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I can do that for you, Chris. <laughs> anything, anything to help you out. It's not that similar, but it did make me think of it. <laughs> Well, with that, we will wrap things up and uh, see you next week live once again, uh, 12 p.m. Central. Come come hang out with us and mm. uh, get those questions ready. And uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for joining. Thanks, guys. Bye, Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Bye.